Welcome to Top Stories. I am Andy Zaltzman, and today's top story comes from May 2010. Britain was reaching new heights of democracy in that uh, heroic month as we recorded Bugle Issue 113, entitled Countdown to Vote Again. And a political blooper from Prime Minister Gordon Brown gave myself and John Oliver plenty to analyse. Top story this week Countdown to Vote Again. <laughs> British democracy is back from the dead, Andy, that is for sure. It's punched its way out of the grave like Uma Thurman in Kill Bill and it's now wandering the streets more powerful than ever, or at least more powerful than any time in the last ten years. <laughs> Where once the fear was that turnout could be around 50%, now, surely, we can dare to dream that two in three people may actually vote. I'll tell you what we have to thank for this, Andy. The same thing we have to thank for game shows and omelette whisk infomercials, television. <laughs> Who'd have thought the TV debates would have shaken British democracy to its extremely dusty foundations? <laughs> I think it was, what's become clear from across the pond, Andy, is that Clegg has gained the most. Cameron has lost some of the mathematical inevitability that he had coming into the campaign, largely due to making the mistake of occasionally saying things he actually believes. <laughs> and Brown hasn't really lost anything, as he didn't really have anything to lose in the first place. <laughs> it's like a man sitting in an empty house... There's only so much a burglary can hurt him. <laughs> yeah, well, the final uh, prime ministerial debate took place uh, last night, uh, Thursday, as we record here on Friday, uh, just six days away from Votergeddon. And mm -hmm. the entire future of Britain, John, the nation, the business, the brand, was on the line as the public sat down in front of their TV sets in eager anticipation before realising they were watching the wrong channel and switching over to watch Britain's stupidest teacher or <laughs> shoot me, I'm a nincompoop. <laughs> or my aunt thinks Hitler was a horse, or whatever else was on, before checking the news headlines at 10 o'clock to find out who'd won, apparently, and therefore who deserves to own Britain. And, uh, frankly, John, I think the reaction from most people has been, has been, is that the novelty has now worn off after three after debates. Three. Yeah, it was pretty dull last night. Democracy was fun for the first debate, John. It was OK for the second, and it's now a bit passé. Right. By the third. And, you know, I'm more more than averagely tolerant of uh, democracy. But this was like having concentrated bullshit milkshake blasted <laughs> into your face at point-blank range. Uh, I lasted about 11 minutes of what had been billed as one of the most significant moments in our democratic history before I started thinking, what was wrong with the old system of just voting for who your father told you to vote for? It <laughs> never did Britain any harm. Uh, but the whole point, Andy, of having three debates is that you're supposed to learn in PR terms, as you go. So, you know, you look down the camera, you try and smile more, you try and engage with the viewer. <laughs> now, by the third debate, at least one of them should have realised the key to winning televised elections is the T-shirt cannon. <laughs> it just takes one of them, Andy, just to pull it out and say, say to the assembled crowd, who wants a free T-shirt? Everyone will go crazy, just start <laughs> unloading T-shirts into the crowd. Everyone's going to think, look at that, he gives out T-shirts. I want to... You can have it on your bus, just an open-top bus, just shooting T-shirts around key marginal constituencies. <laughs> I'm telling you, it'll work. People well, love T-shirts. Yeah, but it was, it was one of these 76 rules that they had oh, governing that's... this debate. No T-shirt can cannons, oh. no nut grabs. What about T-shirt machine guns? <laughs> no, that is definitely out. Right. That is definitely out, and no cross-dressing. All of those three, not allowed. Um, in summary, though, for those of you who didn't, uh, didn't see it, um, all three leaders are basically in favour of getting the economy moving, which is good, I guess. Right. 
So it looks like that crisis is going to be averted, whoever wins. Uh, they don't really like each other, that much came across. And they're also not afraid of repeating stuff. They've said over and over again, word for word, until the nation just gives in and votes. And um, Cameron has been criticised for crapping on kind of nebulously about change a bit too mm -hmm. much in this campaign. And to be fair, he did rein himself in a bit last night. Change was only the 11th word that he said. So wow. he held it back quite a lot longer than usual. Wow. And um, he also pulled off a clever sublim subliminal trick to emphasise the need for change by doing a rapid off-screen costume change between each question. Clever. Although um, he, he didn't really notice it because he'd changed into 12 versions of the same suit and tie that he'd been wearing at the start. So the change was barely perceptible. Did that reveal something, John? No, because it didn't happen. But if it had happened, yeah. it might have revealed something. And that's that's the most important thing to remember. Now, Gordon Brown has had an undeniably bad week, culminating in him being overheard on a live microphone, calling an old lady a bigot, having just had a conversation with her that suggested nothing of the sort. Now, calling a member of the electorate, a lifelong Labour voter, no less, a bigot, is probably even worse than when John Prescott actually punched a voter <laughs> in the face. It's even worse than that. The thing is that in isolation, probably isn't that terrible. It's just that it plays into a widely held belief that Gordon Brown hates people. Now, <laughs> if he doesn't hate them, he certainly has an active dislike for them. He'd have been a great 19th century politician, Andy, when you could govern from a wood-panelled room with a fireplace in it and you never had to touch any peasants. <laughs> That's right. Well, he has been handicapped in this campaign by things like the invention of television and yeah. the invention of photography and the development of human speech. And it, it, they've all kind of conspired against him and he struggled to convey his very important message of yes, we're f***ed, but we'll be even more f***ed if you vote for these losers. And um, I, he, he was pretty unlucky with this, this bigot comment, John, because someone forgot to switch his microphone off. Mm -hmm. He was probably just winding down a bit annoyed after the last 50-odd years of his life. And, and, it, and it just uh, just came out, and, and the press were all over it, John, because I don't think, you know, it wasn't that, wasn't that important. You know, it was, uh, it was the press, but the press were all over it, like human skin on a cannibal's birthday cake. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh. and why was this, John? Why were the press so obsessed with it? I'll tell you why. Because it all—it was a faux pas caused by someone forgetting to switch their microphone off, and I'm sure all politicians say that in what they think is the privacy of their own massive limousine. But the the press loved it because it meant they could basically not do their f***ing job for a couple of days and just crap on about this comment. But Brown should have dealt with it better. He should have had more balls. He should have said, "Yes, I did call her a bigot, and I stand by that. She is a bigot." And I meant that as a compliment. Britain was built on the powers of bigotry. It's what drove our empire. It's part of our shared birthright in this country. Groundless and ill-informed prejudice that clouds the harsh realities of reality. And I appeal to all bigots of all bigoty persuasions to unite behind me and the Labour Party. And we will represent each of your bigotries to the best of our ability. Oh, God, Andy, I'm tearing up. But he didn't say that. What he actually said was, oh, f Shit bags. That is all I need. But he didn't say that out loud, but he did say it with his face. He, uh, Gordon Brown actually spent 45 minutes in the house of Mrs Duffy, the lady he called a bigot, and I would really love to hear those tapes, Andy. I, I, I really think he was probably just trying to convince her to say something racist, because all he needed was for her to actually prove him right. Oh, Betty laid it on pretty thick. Please. Please, Mrs Duffy, it, no, it can be about the Chinese, just something. If you're really a Labour supporter, you do this for me, please. I need this. I'm in a bad way. <laughs> or he may have spent 30 of those 45 minutes upstairs in her bathroom trying to draw swastikas on things. <laughs> oh, 
What's this, Mrs Duffy? A swastika engraved in your soap? Pretty bigoty behaviour, don't you think? You just did that, Gordon. You've got soap under your fingernails. Oh, please say something racist. I'm f- <laughs> This is... I, I think what, what actually happened, though, was that she realised she was in a position of power. She started that day as just an ordinary... Yeah. Ordinary voter. Yeah. Who uh, no-one in the public eye had ever heard of. By the end of the day, she had the Prime Minister... Basically held hostage in yeah. her living room until he'd completed his penitence. And I think basically she, you know, she she looked like she probably likes reality television. I think she was yeah. making him sing songs. Yeah, he was basically having to go through her favourite, all the Os- classic Osmond songs from the seventies, maybe a bit of Boney M. Basically, just just until she she'd ha- you know she she was happy that he really meant sorry. I'm not forgiven yet, not yet, Gordon. I think we'll have another rendition of Puppy Love. <laughs> <laughs> and they call it puppy love. <laughs> I don't want to. Thank you for listening to the top story from May 2010. If you want to hear the top story from now, and indeed all the other stories as well, then listen to the current episode of The Bugle, available on the internet. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.